What is going on at Dentsu? We've got restructuring, redundancies, and a few big appointments, all signs of the pressures on media businesses right now. Also today, Crown Resorts launches a major brand refresh. Will it be enough to repair its reputation after two royal commissions? Threads and a rebranded Twitter failed to capture Australia's attention. And the launch of Mumbrella's State of the Industry Survey, why now and why you should take part. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast, a discussion of everything under Australia's media and marketing umbrella. I'm Michael Thompson, and I'm joined every week by my colleague, Adam Lang. Adam, good afternoon. Hello, Michael. Now, Adam, we've got a lot to get through today, even just going through the intro just then. It feels like there has been a lot happening in the last seven days since we last spoke on the podcast. Let's jump straight into our main story this afternoon because there's a lot going on in the agency world right now. And this week, we've been covering uh, the happenings at Dentsu right across the group, basically. And Lauren McNamara's article on mumbrella.com.au is well worth a read. There's been a couple of big appointments. You've got Ben Coulson joining from Hero as Dentsu Creative's Chief Creative Officer for Australia and New Zealand. Katie Firth is coming across from DDB to head up the Melbourne operations as Managing Director. But at the same time, there has been a few departures as well. The Joint Chief Creative Officers go. Dentsu Kara's Sydney Managing Director left. All of this, you would say, seems quite normal because there is generally a fair bit of movement around. But the broader context of this, Adam, is a fairly extensive restructure across the group. Now, I won't go into all of the detail here. I would recommend checking out Lauren's article, and I will put a link in uh, the show notes to that. But there are a lot of job changes. uh, And as part of this, there are redundancies. And we've heard that dozens of roles are being affected by the changes and that some of those uh, individuals will be out there now looking for new roles. We saw one pop up on LinkedIn last week which is when we approached Dentsu and Patrizio De Mateus, who is the CEO of Dentsu ANZ, said this, and I think there's a lot in this statement that he provided to us. He said, like many other businesses, we're not immune to the macroeconomic situation that we all currently live in, and we do need to address this, so we're coming out the other side stronger. He said, this has unfortunately meant that we've seen some people impacts, which any leader will know is never an easy decision to make. Now, Adam, the macroeconomic situation that he refers to here, what kind of impact does this have on agencies? It's really kind of a flow-on effect, isn't it? Yes. Uh, and look, the macroeconomic environment is really the weather of business. So whether it's international or national, what you're considering are the prevailing economic conditions. And so what we know is the case that interest rates are at relative highs relative to recent times, and they're expected to stay higher for longer. That means people need to spend more money on debt. And so that tends to take money away from other purchases to service that debt. And so you don't end up with as much cash to spend. Things like rents are going up, fuel prices are going up. And so that's the more macroeconomic and international forces at play here. And I think that is right. And then, of course, within that, you've got elements that you hope are cyclical. For example, cost of living, you hope that inflation can come down and that pressure can be alleviated soon. But then there's also structural changes going on, and this is macroeconomic as well, and that is digitization, artificial intelligence, and how those elements are impacting all businesses, not just media businesses, but certainly media agencies, creatives, media publishers. 
And so those that combination of both cost of living pressure, digitization, and probably AI are really causing businesses to have to adjust. And to your point, Michael, it's not just Dentsu. There's many going through this. And look, we say it is quite broad, but looking just specifically for one more moment at Dentsu, because Mumbrella last month reported the quarterly uh, results for Dentsu, the parent company, the Japanese uh, holding company. And as part of the coverage, we noticed that they were introducing cost management measures for the 2023 calendar year because quarterly profit had taken a hit. Uh, And when it comes to the local division, uh, Australia had posted a greater than 5% decline in revenue. And another point that was made during the the coverage of those results is that Dentsu Australia and New Zealand's current leadership team are all around 18, 19 months or less into the job. Uh, So when you kind of combine all of those factors, which is a relatively new team, all very experienced individuals, but relatively new in in this environment with a company that is under quite a bit of pressure and we've got declining revenues pretty much across the board and including in the local market, it sounds like a company that is probably going to be looking to make some changes. Yeah, it does, Michael. You note the changes that have already happened and there may be more to come. And I think very common to business in general, I mean, cost management is an everyday factor, right? But what we're talking about here is the degree to which you have to manage costs when revenues are coming down and the forecasts ahead are uncertain, like there is tough weather ahead. Uh, There is no doubt about that in my mind. And so, I, I think that's absolutely right, Michael. And businesses always have to adjust to the conditions, right? Where are the opportunities? Where are the threats? Where we can really consolidate our wins? There's a combination of evolution and revolution within that. And by which I mean that you are always having to evolve your team approach to win, right? To keep winning business because competition doesn't stand still. And sometimes there's so much evolution can go on it feels like it's a bit of a revolution. And at times I imagine all those changes in a denser and as you point out, relatively short tenures and new experience coming into the building and into the office, that impacts how teams operate to function, to do their normal day-to-day and indeed to compete and win new business. Does it mean they have to fight harder? For the wins, you mentioned consolidating our wins, but in terms of actually getting those wins in the first place, does it mean a business like Dentsu and others that are under similar pressure have to fight even harder for those wins now? Yeah, look, I think it it does. In a cost of living pressure environment, everything gets a bit tougher. The whole competition gets harder. I think it gets harder and harder to win. You want to make your brand grow, whatever that brand is. So it definitely does get harder. And truthfully, when you Boil that down to how's the team going to adjust? I think that everyone is likely to be working hard, right? And I certainly hope that's the case and enjoying it. But definitely what you have to be able to do is to adjust to those conditions and, as the cliche goes, work smarter, not harder. Now, we might have thought we were already doing that, working both smart and hard, but it does require more of us to compete in this environment. Uh, Look, I don't want to focus too much on Dentsu now and the practicalities of their restructure and how that that might look, but it it does speak to something I think that we have discussed before, which is this extremely high turnover rate uh, for staff now right across the sector. Yeah, it does. And look, 
This applies to any business in my view, including media, but when you've got staff turnover between 25 and 40%, that is an extremely high cost of doing business. And we've talked about that on the Mumbrella cast before. You know, the effort that you have to make as a company to recruit, to induct, to train, to support people, to be able to win, that is a huge cost of doing business. So when that turnover is high, the cost of doing that, it's really can get to unacceptable levels and untenable levels. So I guess that's what I'm saying really with working smarter. How do we set the right team structures up? How do we employ the character and the competence to deliver the best outcomes for the business and really recruit to that, induct it really well, support them really well to grow in their roles and to win? And I think what we should be aiming for is that turnover to come down. What do you think the the, the long-term effect of this uh, is? Because Dentsu is just one company and there are a lot of other businesses that are under similar pressures and a lot of people moving around. And when you see potentially kind of movement of up to 40% in terms of staff turnover, that is quite incredible. And, and really, this is an industry that is built on ideas and built on relationships. But when you have these people that, that have those relationships and those ideas moving around, are we going to see a period of change now where we may actually see more kind of companies moving their business, more brands kind of moving and following people around. Is this the beginning of a very perhaps turbulent period? It definitely could be. I mean, in a recent podcast, Michael, you and I talked about radio presenters and sometimes the people on camera or on the microphone are referred to as talent I'm not saying that applies to you and me in this environment, but (laughs) it's so modest, Adam. (laughs) Outside the business-to-business context that we're talking about now, more that business-to-consumer thing where people have been called stars or talent in the past, I think that can be a little bit damaging. I think talent is something that everyone has. And so Mm. I think to your question, it goes back into set the business structure up right, decide the capabilities you want, you know, the character and the competence you want to be in those roles and find the talented people in all walks of life that will help you deliver that outcome. And so, yes, it could be disruptive, but what I hope can be distilled out of this is a structure that businesses are finding works really well for them to compete and win. I don't know why, Adam, but every time we talk about staff retention or anything along those lines, I keep going back to an article that was written a few weeks ago now by Nathan Jolly on Mumbrella, and it is about Adland work perks. And I don't know why, I just keep going back to it because some of these things on this list are just incredible. Like in terms of overseas trips, there's there one uh, company uh, as well that that every month their uh, employee of the month basically is chosen and they receive a long weekend away on the central coast of New South Wales in a property owned by the business. And and so it's just all these really kind of novel ways of, of attracting talent and retaining talent. And, and there was one pivotus, I think they give $50 per staff member uh, on a debit card every month that they can spend on anything that they need to help them work from home. They can get kind of whether it's food or stationery or whatever, and then they get double that during their birth month and then double that again during their, their, their work anniversary month. And then just to top it all off, there's a, a an international company trip every two years. Like there are some incredible, I would definitely recommend going and having a look at, at Nathan's article because it's an absolute cracker. It's a two-part series and there may just be a third part coming soon. I've probably shouldn't have said that, but I have. Uh, It is a really good indication of some of the things that businesses are doing to try and retain staff. 
And Michael, I hope we don't lose all of them, you know, in this new pressured environment. I hope we can keep them. And where they're working for business and for people, God, I, they can be terrific, right, and very valuable. But I think it has to all rest on that core proposition. Are we all thinking like business owners? Are we part of a successful team running a successful business? Because without that, we won't be able to afford those perks. Oh, so you're very serious, Adam. Aren't I? <laughs> Probably too much. You managed to bring it back to like the, the serious, the core values. And here I am wanting to talk about having your dog at work or having a free bagel for morning tea or something. And it has to come back to this kind of, this core principle of, of thinking like a team player. I'm like, no, give me free stuff. Ooh, a bagel. That sounds nice. It does, actually. Look, it's probably a good point to finish. We started at Dentsu and we finished with bagels. I don't really know quite how we got there. We'll take a very quick break and we'll come back and have a look at some of the other stories that we've been covering on Umbrella this week. All right, Adam, so we are each picking a story that Mumbrella has covered this week and bringing it to the table for discussion. What have you selected for today? Well, Michael, very topical, I think in a range of ways, is Crown and the new campaign. So oh, yeah. you might remember, in fact, it's very hard to forget, that Crown has had some challenges in recent years, some regulatory issues in different states such as Western Australia, Perth, Victoria, Melbourne, New South Wales, Sydney, Brisbane. So, look, there's a few issues that have happened and what you know they need, right, is to reset because, yes, they've had corporate challenges, they've had executive changes, but fundamentally these are valuable businesses that should still trade with consumers, right, and they've proven themselves to be valid and good businesses that these issues can be corrected and they should be able to go on. So this challenge for any brand, for any creative for any media agency, this is a really decent prospect. And I imagine a a lot of work has gone into this. So as we saw with Lauren McNamara's article today, there's a new ad out. You can see it on the Mumbrella site and watch it and have a a think about how how it impacts you. So let me ask you, Michael, just cold, how did it impact you when you saw the ad? Uh, Look, it, it struck me that there was no gambling, that there was no, that it it is a casino, essentially, that is not advertising a casino. Yeah, what gambling? Yeah, indeed. And and that's kind of what what hit me. As soon as I saw that, okay, all right, this is a full brand reset. There's a lot of pressure on this campaign, it feels, because this is the first big campaign for Crown Resorts since two Royal Commissions. As you mentioned, there was one in Perth and one in Melbourne. And they were both damning of Crown and the gambling practices and the the links to organized crime and the money laundering and and the recommendations that came out of these Royal Commissions were extremely serious. And just at the same time, they've built this new hotel complex in Sydney that was about to open, right? So the timing was excruciating as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And they have done a lot of work since then. Uh, I mean, the, the the evidence is there that uh, because they had to, they were they were told that they had to, and there was uh, all these special conditions put on the company in order to continue operating. But new governance doesn't make a great ad, does it? It doesn't. It well, I, you probably would find a way of going. You know what, guys? If you're in the brainstorming room, you go. You know what? Let's not focus on the restaurants. Let's not focus on the entertainment. Governance. Have you thought about governance for this ad? Let's get the rules up on the screen. 
and show everyone what we're doing now. Yeah, that'd be shot down quickly. It certainly would be, but it would be entertaining to see you try and pitch that. (laughs) But no, I think it really did hit me is that this is an important campaign. And this is obviously only the the start of it. This is just the first spot that that really focused on the entertainment and focusing on the food. These are other elements that that, uh, casinos like Crown have not just become a, a, a gaming floor, that they are a precinct for entertainment. So it's clearly focusing on that. Yeah, hotels, bars, restaurant, entertainment shows. They really do have so much going on and thousands of people working there, let alone customers. Yeah, but it is putting so much pressure on this campaign to try and change that reputation. And I don't know if it is going to be enough to do it or whether, whether it needs to more directly address the problems of the past. It's a really good point. And so I wonder whether this is not expected to do that work alone, as in this one ad isn't expected to do everything. You know, that perhaps we will see a series of creative executions that speak to different things. You know, we saw Vanessa Hudson last Friday issue a video apology to all the Qantas frequent flyers as a CEO, a new CEO taking over. That's a very different approach, isn't it, uh, to their customers? So this is a video commercial, which I must say is incredibly stylish, beautifully shot and and exciting to watch, but does not cover gambling, covers all the other parts of what Crown can offer. And maybe it's not the only one. Maybe it's the first in a series of them. It is an interesting trend that we're seeing though, isn't it, Adam, that, that this is Crown. Uh, and a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Tab also having a new ad out that didn't really mention gambling, which is quite extraordinary considering that that is the the core business. That campaign was all about sport. And so here we've got Crown, a casino company that is not talking about gambling. We had Tab, which is a betting company that's not talking about betting. It feels as though this is the new way, kind of approaching, finding another angle, finding another way in, because for many people, perhaps the gambling side of it might be a little bit on the nose. Yeah, well, great point. I mean, I, I, I wonder whether also implicit within that is we've got the gamblers. They already know what we do. This is about getting other customers for our business and maybe some of them will consider more gambling. You know, it's, there's a range of ways that this could be being executed. I think it's fascinating. It's a it's a massive challenge, isn't it, uh, for Crown Resorts to do this? That this is, as you say, a full brand reset, and it's a very different company because it was previously an ASX listed business. The last time they did a campaign, it was an ASX listed business, and and James Packer was a shareholder, and and all of that has changed. It is now owned by the U.S. private equity giant Blackstone. Uh, And so it is a very different company to what it once was. And so it feels like this is just the beginning of a fairly extensive uh, exercise in brand rehabilitation. Well, that that too is a great point, right? So Blackstone, let's just say they have a five-year horizon on this investment. Could be 10, could be three, but let's just posit that it's five. And in that five, you've got a lot to accomplish that begins on this ad. So unlike a listed company, they don't go, quick, new advertising campaign. Now let's wait for the share price to go up. It's like, it's not, it, that's not a reality and nor is it an expectation, I'm sure. This is about how do we set that five-year path in this working example to making sure we improve the business. So I think there's more to go on this. Yeah, 
It's look, head to mumbrella.com.au, check out the ad, see what you think. See whether you think that this is the beginning of that brand repair and and what more is going to be required in order to do it. Because as we say, it is a tremendous challenge for Crown to do this. And this may just be day one of a very, 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 very long process, Adam. Yeah. And look, for the time it takes around one minute, it's a beautifully crafted ad. So at least you'll enjoy that. And then what you think, we'd love to know. Yeah, absolutely. All right. My story this week, if, uh, Adam, I know you're a bit of a social media junkie, a bit of a fiend. (laughs) Yes, consumer, not publisher. Mm. Look, I want to talk to you about social media uh, this week, specifically the rebranding of Twitter as X and the launch of Threads, because both of these things happened a little while ago. They happened around the same time. It was back in July. And the first move there came from Elon Musk, who rebranded Twitter as X, doing away with the the little blue bird logo, a very iconic logo. So it's perhaps a little bit questionable in terms of that decision to get rid of that. (laughs) Uh, And in doing so, in doing so to, look, I don't want any kind of value judgments on this, but trash... (laughs) the brand recognition that was there as well because that had been built up over a very long period of time. Anyway, look, I'm not going into this with any preconceived ideas. No. I'm putting it out there for discussion. Neutral stance. Indeed. Then Mark Zuckerberg saw his opportunity because of the disruption that was caused by the shift from Twitter to X. See, that's already better, isn't it? I was about to say the trashing again. And no, shift shift is neutral language. Uh, And he launched threads, which looked and felt a lot like Twitter in its heyday. And as Lauren McNamara pointed out in in an article on Mumbrella uh, this week, uh, by the end of its launch weekend, threads had uh, something like more than 100 million users worldwide. It was quick. That is a remarkably quick rate, isn't it, of, of people signing up? And I'm sure, Adam, you would have been one of them. I actually was. Were you? I was. Well, you think about it, right? The three and a half billion people or more on Facebook, Meta, Instagram, mm-hmm. we all got it, right? And it was yep. one click away. So it was made so easy. Yeah, it certainly was. Did you know that I was uh, nearly within the first million people to join up to Threads? Did you stay up? Uh, no, I just happened to be online when all of a sudden the announcement came through. Because uh, uh, because <laughs> what a coincidence! The time difference meant that it was about nine a.m. for us, uh, and so oh. I was just I was just online, and it suddenly popped up. Do you want your Threads account? I'm like, mm, okay then, and there I was, about a million and seventy thousand or something like that. And now there's there's hundreds of millions, and I, I feel quite special. And I feel like at some point in the future, I could actually auction off the Michael Thompson author handle as one of the original threads um <laughs> high value account name so do you get like a a piece of blue thread or something no the tick no no oh. well it wouldn't be a blue tick would it be something thread related like a woven cloth of honor it's it is possible it's it's actually quite just a limp looking tick because it's actually made of cotton and it doesn't have much substance. It's not able to hold itself okay. up. It's just a bit kind of flaccid. That was a terrible joke. I'm sorry I said it. No, that's okay. The, uh, congratulations, you've been verified and you've got the flaccid tick. Now, Adam, moving on. Please. 
both platforms seem to be struggling in the local market. For very different reasons, right? Indeed. And this was based on research from Tracksuit. And Lauren was writing about this and she said that that less than 5% of the Aussie population are using threads now compared to 77% for Facebook, 51% for Instagram. That is pretty extraordinary considering, as you said, it was really, really easy to sign up. It was everywhere. And look, i got to confess, I'm one of the ones who signed up, looked for the first few days and thought, okay, and then haven't been back. It's like it's no, no real need. Now, I wonder if there's a compounding effect too because straw poll of one, me, Twitter slash X is less usable to me now than it was, right? It, I do not sort of look towards it with the same interest that I had before. I can't use the tweet deck you know, to make it easy for me, that's gone. Blue ticks can be bought. I just think a number of things from a brand name to some policy changes to sort of shutting people out of TweetDeck unless you sign up. I think there's a number of structural changes that have caused people to go, oh, no, actually I won't use it at all or at least I won't use it as often. And so when you're using one less often like Twitter, then maybe the whole category becomes less desirable. Meanwhile, Snapchat, Instagram, other forms are just so easy, so good, TikTok. So, you know, he's going, ooh, they made some risky decisions, I think, at Twitter slash X. Threads was opportunistic and, right, it's pushed us all elsewhere. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The risk associated with the rebrand from Twitter to X and uh, some data from Tracksuit showed that 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 20%, just 20% of people uh, in Australia apparently think that it was a good idea, of users in Australia think it was a good idea. I'm actually amazed that it's that high. Yeah. it's it, To me, it, there, was, there was risk all over it and you would have to wonder the marketing team at Twitter just going, please, Elon, don't do this. Yeah, the marketing team that's left, right, of the people left behind going, oh, my job just got quite a lot harder. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we talk about we talk about branding challenges and the the challenge that's currently facing uh, Crown. How about the challenge that is facing X and trying to build a new brand when you have knowingly walked away from a brand that is so widely known? It just it, it feels like it would be a tough job to actually want to do. Yeah, and they have put in a new CEO in the last 12 months. So you would hope that Elon Musk and the owners of that company give them that support to make the changes they need to. Otherwise, you just see, I don't know that this trajectory is going to change. It's uh, one last point on social media. We have seen other social media platforms attempt to launch. Uh, You had We Are Eight, which is founded by Sue Fennessy. Uh, who was the the founder of Standard Media Index, so very well known uh, within this industry, and also led by uh, former Nine exec Lizzie Young. Now, that hit the market last year. And by the looks of it, they're probably seeing that it's a bit of a tough slog because it's clearly, clearly not a good sign when Threads, which is directly linked to the two most popular platforms, Facebook and Instagram, has struggled to keep people's attention It'd be next to impossible for someone new to come in and say, I want to I want to share that market. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're a glass half full optimist, you would say, well, maybe this is the best opportunity I'll get. You know, who could have 
if you had to script the demise of Twitter, mm. that would have been bloody difficult. Mm. If you had to compete with a new entrant like Threads, you'd go, Ooh. but maybe the way they're both situated, we are eight, which is very purpose-driven, like it limits the amount of time that you can use the social media. It shares money with charities. It rewards the audience for the advertising they see. You go, well, maybe they can make this work. So oh, I think they're, I hope they have a go. They keep having a go. Yeah, and look, Adam, in our other podcast, Fear and Greed, We Are Eight was a supporter of Fear and Greed uh, at one point last year. We no longer have any mm. uh, official affiliation. And we did an interview with Sue Fantasy. Absolutely. It's really good. Yeah, but it is just a very interesting exercise in trying to to launch a new brand into a market that is arguably already quite saturated, but hey, maybe. Unsettled, Yeah, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, okay, we've got to wrap things up, Adam, because we are very rapidly running out of time. One thing I wanted to make a quick mention of is the Mumbrella State of the Industry 2024 survey, which sounds very grand. It sounds like it should be like the president of the US kind of standing up there and thumping the table and talking about the state of the industry. Bugles play when you open it. Bugles. That would be a nice touch. Sense of theatre and grandeur. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, if you head to Mumbrella com.au. It is all over the site. You can't miss it. But take the survey and you're actually helping to shape the future of the industry. You also get a copy of the report early. You get access to all of the insights from that report and you go in the drawer as well to win a, a $1,000 gift card. I think there's three of them uh, to give away. So there's plenty of benefits. But just as to the reason why we are doing this survey again. Now, the last one was done five years ago, so it's pretty much the same as the census. I would argue it's actually more important than the census, Adam. For marketing and media industry, yeah. For everyone. They should teach this in schools. Uh, Because five years ago, back in in 2018, 80% of us felt the future of the marketing industry would be exciting. And how about this? Which I would agree. I would say it it, it is still exciting. Certainly is that. But this one, 46.3% described ourselves as carefree. Right. Do you think in 2018 anyone really knew what was just around the corner? It was impossible, wasn't it? Yeah, and I don't know whether that is the case. I don't think we are as carefree as we once were, and uh, I will be really interested to see the findings of this report and just see how our attitudes to everything relating to this industry have changed. A one-in-100-year pandemic will unsettle things a bit. And even looking back on it, so much has changed in that five-year period. It's accelerated so many things. So a couple of things. I've done it. I did it very quickly. Michael, have you? Uh, Yes, I have. Uh, I just want to point out that you are not eligible, Adam, for the $1,000 gift card, should you win. Indeed. So whomever fills it in, there's at least two people less that aren't able to win the $1,000 or any prize from this. So your odds are improving. Your odds are improving already, but everyone will get that data. And as you can imagine, Michael, that's the biggest prize to me (laughs) is getting to see what everyone thinks about all these questions and all the insights we can get from it. Ultimately, it'll help us do our jobs better. Oh, yeah. yeah. And and, and the impact of things like AI on the industry, uh, working from home, the impact on creativity, all of these bits and pieces which are so important and have changed so much in the last five years that, that it, it may as well be an entirely different planet that we are surveying. It feels that different. <laughs> anyway, head... To- <laughs> 
Maybe maybe I'm overreaching in the final 30 seconds of the of the <laughs> podcast, Adam, but I feel like I kind of was overreaching pretty much from the beginning. Yeah, we need a little asterisk like those ads. A different planet may not be verifiable. Yeah, I mean, I can't back it up, but really, I mean, half the claims I make probably are unverifiable. So <laughs> It's a metaphor. So why change yeah. now? All right, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Michael. This is the Mumbrella cast. Remember to hit follow on the podcast and please head along to mumbrella.com.au for more information, for access to all of the articles and to the survey that we've been talking about today. Thank you very much for your company. See you next time.